And Chicago police are confirming this afternoon that the man tasked with overseeing court-mandated police reforms within the department has been fired. The source is telling ABC7 that Robert Boyk was fired over a dispute with Superintendent David Brown over staffing related to meeting consent decree requirements. Now, CPD would not comment on the circumstances surrounding... Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. That intro you heard was ABC News Chicago discussing or covering very quickly the firing out of nowhere of Robert Boyk, a former guest on our live show. Boyk came over from the Chicago Public Schools to run what it was called the Office of Constitutional Policing, but is basically the office trying to push the CPD into reforms such as they are um, that are mandated by the consent decree, the federal court consent decree. And uh, we'll get into that more, but he is out uh, pretty summarily fired by David Brown, Chicago Police Superintendent. We'll get more into that in our second story today. But first, we're going to go to an article by the Better Government Association of Chicago titled Claims About Anti-Violence Efforts Overblown. Yes. And by the way, the person running it is overblown. So what's the biggest takeaway from this story? Tamara Mahal, which I hope I am getting her name right, who is running this program is basically just a PR person. And that's how she got um, elevated through the um, city of Chicago. And um, because it doesn't seem there's a whole lot behind her boasts of all the, of her, her experience, which mimic the boasts of the anti-violence efforts by the city, what they've done. Now, just to be fair, the anti-violence efforts aren't going to be quick. You're not going to see immediate results. They claim there are. That's the biggest problem. These are three, five, seven, ten years down the road is when you're going to see results. It's not right away, but there, because the mayor is a political person and she's running for office or re-election in February, they have to keep pumping that everything they do is working. It's the best ever. That is just not the case. So let's get into the article from the BGA. Here's the first passage I want to call your attention to. In the past five years, she rose from an airport, this is Mahal, an airport emergency manager to become the public face of Lightfoot's efforts to address one of Chicago's largest threats to safety, to the city's reputation as a tourist mecca, and to the mayor's political future. At each step along the way, Mahal has overstated her accomplishments, raising questions about Lightfoot's reliance on her in such a key role. Yes, it does. And it's sad to say that, but Mahal is definitely much more PR than anything else. And the BGA lays it out, and I'm going to lay it out for you. It's so Chicago, right? She's just full of crapola. Her big accomplishment in the city was writing, running the COVID distribution. She was the lead for that. Okay, here's the BJ. It's a little long, but I do want to get it to you because I think it's important. Last summer, the mayor said we needed to take what ultimately led to a successful response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the most equitable vaccine distribution in the United States, and we need to apply that to what is ultimately the city's largest epidemic, gun violence. 
Mahal said. Hmm. Chicago? Most equitable vaccine distribution in the country? Hmm. I don't seem right. This is the, back to the article. A recent study from Drexel, Drexel University researchers in the American Journal of Epidemiology compared neighborhoods and big cities ranked by a social vulnerability index. A score considering factors such as income, race, and transportation in assessing vulnerability to disease. The study found that as of September 2021, just two months after Mahal left the vaccine effort, Chicagoans in, most, in the most vulnerable neighborhoods were 27% less likely to be fully vaccinated than those in the most advantaged areas, a wider gap than 10 of the 16 biggest cities examined, including New York and LA. I might be wrong, but that doesn't seem like it's the most equitable distribution in the country. What do you know? She's lying. Unbelievable, right, from a city official. She said the Anti-Violence Center, this is the center they set up that she's running now, that Lightfoot, it's like her response to violence. She said the Anti-Violence Center is using short-term programs to build trust and lay groundwork for bigger change. Good, but that... Temporary short programs are virtually meaningless to stopping violence now, and you just have to be honest about that. We're doing all these other things to stop violence now, but we're trying to build long-term solutions in. I'm for that, but honesty, integrity, not something you find in the city much, and certainly not in the mayor's office. Back to the article. In response to BGA questions, Mahal cited nine disasters into which she was deployed. Pressed for details, she acknowledged those missions tended to involve paperwork helping victims and contractors get resources. Ooh, maybe she's not the crisis response expert on the ground that we all think they are, or that I all think they are, that we're supposed to think she is. Back to the article. One past role was director of emergency management at Amherst College in Massachusetts, where she, quote, led a response to a two-month water shortage crisis in 2016, according to her job applications at City Hall. Hmm, okay, that sounds interesting. Gulliford Mooring, hope I'm pronouncing that right, public works superintendent of the town of Amherst said Mahal was an articulate presence at meeting, but the town's advice to the college was to water its lawns less. <laughs> Now, that sounds like someone we want to put into vaccine distribution in a worldwide pandemic in one of the largest cities in the country. More bullshit. See, if you, if you read between the lines here, ladies and gentlemen, she is getting promoted up the chain here because she's able to promote herself and the program she's doing, irregardless that what she's saying doesn't reflect reality. But the city doesn't care about that most of the time. It's about politics. And it's about getting reelected. And it's about getting votes. It's a, it's a um, pyramid scheme. It's a Bernie Madoff of politics. No one cares as long as everyone says it does this great. And everyone thinks it's great. No one cares in reality whether it is great or not. Back to the article. Let's see if we can learn a little more about her. While heavily promoting Mahal's anti-violence center, the city's press releases often fail to explain in concrete terms what the CSCC does, this community support center. 
The specific projects listed on the center's website include helping residents get rebates for security cameras, giving information and resources to block clubs, offering training sessions on healing trauma, and holding low-key kickbacks for use on Saturday evenings. <laughs> sounds like crap. It doesn't sound any, first of all, it sounds like bullshit. And second of all, it doesn't really sound like anything new. It probably was done in other parts of the city, right? I had a booth one day at Heal the Hood run by, um, or no, it was B-Ball on the Block, I think. It may have been part of the Heal the Hood. Um, Little Village Community Development Corp at that time, I don't think they had changed to unless they, Michael Rodriguez invited us to it. And we had a booth and we were talking to community members about what we do. It sounds like that. And that's, I'm not ripping that. I think it's great, but don't brag that it's this massive new thing when it isn't really anything. Back to the article, last part of this article. The BJ examined more than 100 pages of the center's weekly situation reports, which show slow progress on initiatives, including cutting tall trees down, potentially designing new signs for black clubs, and making condolence calls to people who have lost children to violence. The reports often don't make clear which of those efforts materialized. What of those efforts are going to reduce violence in the short term? Actually, in the long term, but let's just say short term. None. None. They're not. Everyone knows they're not. And it would be fine if, if the mayor and Mahal were saying, we're starting slow. We think this is going to pay off in five years. But lying about it, having effects now is wrong. And she should get called out on it. And if she lied half as much as the BGA says through the entire article, she should probably be fired. But that ain't gonna happen because all the marketing she's doing is good for the city and good for the mayor. So she ain't going anywhere. Okay, the second segment today, as we teased up front, Chicago police official, this is a uh, Chicago Sun-Times article, headline, Chicago police official overseeing court order reforms is act by, axed by top cop after questioning deep staff cuts. Okay, now, Boyk, civilian, he's been on this show. So we're going to start. Um, Bob, my question to you is, why is, um, or how is, or why is this system different um, than the previous version the city, or is it different than the previous version the city tried to deploy um, a little over 20 years ago, I know, about 25 years ago? Well, I'm not really the expert on what the city tried to employ uh, and deploy 20 years ago, but uh, obviously the world has come a long way in 20 years, and particularly the use of data science has evolved tremendously uh, really in the last decade. So certainly uh, dramatically different from where we were 20 years ago. But, um, you know, I would say that what we're attempting to implement here in the Chicago Police Department is uh, a data-driven tool that uh, will enable supervisors to have meaningful dialogue with their employees and then some sort of uh, protective support around uh, around what that dialogue is and what is uh, determined to be necessary to help support our officers. So, you know, while not being an expert on where we were 20 years ago, I'm willing to bet this is dramatically different from where we were back then. He... Um... He's in charge of the Office of Constitutional Policing, and he's basically 
the internal person that will take heat for the city or the CPD not meeting its obligations under making progress in a bunch of steps through the consent decree. So, of course, he's concerned about making sure they do that. The CPD is at a, is had a drain of officers coupled with, you know, higher than normal crime rates due to the pandemic. Bad mix. Brown's efforts haven't really seemed to work, but to be honest with you, not many of the cities across the country that have experienced the increases, which is most of them, have had local answers to these problems. Um, whether it's carjackings, homicides, gun violence, they just don't seem to have it. It's because it's mostly about poverty and segregation and, and, and getting rid of those things. But let's get back to this article and see what it says. Robert Boyk, who served in a high-ranking civilian's role within the department since 2016, was dismissed after sending an email criticizing Brown's decision to move 46 officers under Boyk's supervision to the Bureau of Patrol is part of the larger reorganization, according to a source with knowledge of the move. Rather than approving the request for 23 individuals, which Boyk had put in because he wanted to add to the training capacity within the department. So rather than applying or approving the request for 23 individuals and putting us on course to complete our 40-hour in-service training requirement for all officers, the Office of Constitutional Policing and Reform was told to send 46 individuals back to patrol. Boyk complained in his email that was leaked, I guess. They haven't re released the whole thing. They're just quoting from it. Why, I have no idea. Okay, that seems to be a problem. Now, Brown has changed tactics many times. And don't, for a second, Brown doesn't take input. Brown doesn't take recommendations. Brown knows better than everyone else about everything. I chatted um, electronically with a source who knows, whose source is in a position to, have, to know what is going on in the city, the mayor's office, the police department. And I asked this source whether or not Brown um, is as unprofessional as we are made to believe he is in Chicago, and the source says that Brown is worse, which is scary. So the, the article then goes on to quote a couple people. Susan Lee, remember her, we're trying to get her on the show, actually, on the pod. She was brought to Chicago, I think from San Francisco, to lead a beefing up of the anti-violence efforts and coordinating them across the city, right? interrupters and things like that. And she quit, I think, after a year in the job. She was criticizing the mayor and Brown for criticizing bail reform when there was no data to show bail reform was the problem. She quit and she went to work for Chicago CRED, C-R-E-D. We've had someone from that, I don't remember his name, but we've had people from those anti-violence efforts from Chicago CRED and uh, Communities Partnering for Peace. And I can't remember the third one that is slipping, um, it's run by the Heartland. But anyways, we've had them on the show before. So this is Susan Lee, who doesn't talk to the press a lot. Um, maybe out of respect for life, but I'm not really sure why. We're trying to get her on the show to spill what happened. Bob Boyk is probably the person who has led the woefully understaffed reform team to give us any kind of progress we've had on the consent and other reform measures. Consent decree, I'm sure is what she meant. 
to summarily fire him on a legitimate concern about the lack of resources and personnel to fulfill a court-mandated obligation, to me, is just callous and demonstrates a complete disregard for the difficult journey that reform requires. Brown isn't about reform. He is much like Mahal. He just wants to, he's very good at, at vomiting out the rhetoric for people, not very good in his policing. And just a little more context about this. When December of 19, when Lightfoot fired David, no, when she fired Eddie Johnson for the uh, DUI and lying about it, drunk on duty, um, drunk armed, all of those reasons. She brought in a retired police chief named Charlie Beck, who used to be the police chief in LA. She brought him in here to institute a bunch of reforms. One of his mentees in LA was working for the crime lab. And the belief was Charlie Beck would come in with all the clout and his position. And he's known throughout the country as being a reformer and has a lot of, brings in a lot of respect with him. Beck would force in a bunch of changes. Lightfoot would then pick Beck's um, mentee as superintendent, and he would the reforms would already start being in motion when he took over the job. That did not happen. Lightfoot announced Brown within three or four or five days. I think Beck resigned. Now Beck was interim, and he was supposed to stay until. The new person came on board the day he came on board. He quit immediately. Like he announced on Tuesday, I'm out on Friday. And never really said about why. And when Brown came in, Brown just pretty much reversed everything Beck did. That's a problem, right? So here's Charlie Beck's quote about it. Beck said, Boyk's exit will be a serious setback to the drive, in the drive to reach the level of compliance needed to go out from under the costs and constraints of the consent decree. It's a big loss for the CPD, he said. Their goal of reaching compliance, in my estimation, will be much more difficult without Bob. Yep. Brown doesn't like to be questioned. And I am sure Brown gets yelled at every day by Lightfoot. And he is just putting out one Mayor Lightfoot fire after another Mayor Lightfoot fire after another Mayor Lightfoot fire after a fire that makes the news about something that his officers do. He switched. He back was all about putting all the resources in local districts and getting rid of special units, who, by the way, most when things go really bad in departments, it's mostly, like, mostly special units that are not being um, utilized, uh, not being over, have the oversight needed. He wanted to get rid of all that. I don't know enough at the moment to whether to be thrilled with that idea or not. However, Brown came in and basically reversed everything Beck did. Just gutted it and totally changed. Now, in Brown's defense a little bit, a little bit, shortly after he came here, the George Floyd protests came on and the unrest came and the pandemic was in full swing. Tough times to be an urban police chief for sure. Okay, we're going to move on to our third segment. <sighs> and I want to get you that article title. Rabbi Seth Limmer, hope I'm pronouncing that right, at all. Okay, sorry. The city can reduce gun violence by improving clearance rates. Hmm, can they really know? 
I'm not so sure, and I'll get into this in a little more detail in the next couple of minutes here. I don't know if the people who wrote this, who was Rabbi Seth Limmer and then Reverend Michael Flager, I call Rent a Father. He's done a lot of good work, but his his actions during the whole like Star Wars Museum, Lucas Museum were so reprehensible. It certainly seemed like he got paid off to do that, that I have lost all respect for him. Reverend Sierra Bates Chamberlain, who I know, and Reverend, I guess, Otis Moss III. I don't think they know how, what it means to clear a case. I'll get to that. I don't think they know. And they're certainly not thinking about the ramifications. When you put pressure on police to lower clearance rates and respond to violence, and that's why you're hearing the rhetoric in the mayor's race, and you're going to hear it a lot more after the midterms are over, let the police be the police. Pro-police people don't care what the police have to do to keep the numbers down. That's all they care about. This is getting, it's starting to slide that way, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And they don't know enough, enough about policing. And these are the people, by the way, that the Tribune gave a Friday column to now through Memorial Day. Or, I'm sorry, Labor Day is coming up. They have a Friday column once a week. They don't know what the hell they're talking about especially around police. And they want to talk about community stuff, religious stuff, all to you. You know it. They don't know what they're talking about related to policing. And it's dangerous. You have, there are repercussions for it. You have to be very careful what you do in policing and the justice system. Everything you do has some kind of negative impact one way or the other on people, on their communities, on their daily lives. You have to be very, very very careful, especially in a city that has so many wrongful convictions. Kim Fox just released another eight people from Graveros. Another eight people. She just threw out those convictions or about to throw out those convictions from Gravera. You have to be careful. Let's get, we argued a little bit on Twitter. Or I argued with a little bit on Twitter, but oh, we know, no, you don't know. You don't know. So let's get to the, our, the their op-ed. Column, whatever the hell this crap piece of crap is. Chicago is suffering from a vicious trifecta, unsolved cases that lead to little accountability, criminals running rampant. Well, trifecta it usually means three. That seems to two to me. So let's just say they're not starting out the best. Um, so unsolved cases is one. They lead to a little about accountability is two, maybe, but they're in the same clause, so it doesn't make sense. And then criminals running rampant. Okay, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. This is alt-right language. So when you think of Paul Vallis or Alderman Raymond Lopez or John not going to run for mayor, Cotton Zara, the FOP president, this, that, that criminals running rampant, little accountability, that's their rhetoric. That is anti-reform. It's anti-justice. But they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They don't understand. They know so little about it, they don't understand where that rhetoric comes from and what the hell they're talking about. This failure to hold people accountable for homicides is representative of a larger trend plaguing Chicago and cities and communities across the country. Decreasing clearance rates. Anyone who talks about a national clearance rate does not know what the hell they are talking about, period. I'll get to why in a minute. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Low clearance rates 
are a direct barrier to reducing gun violence in any city, but specifically in black and brown communities here in Chicago and across the country. And these numbers, despite what many say, are not the result of policing, of police doing what then Mayor Rahm Emanuel called going fetal, lying down on the jobs out of fear for punishment or prosecution. Yeah, because that 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 hasn't been mentioned at all in the last couple of years. I mean, the police not doing anything. And I mean, it wouldn't have anything to do with like the last couple of years, the pandemic and cops not wanting to get into cars and worried about getting sick. None of that. That's not even mentioned. But the shocking shrinking of clearance rates is the result of strategic choices in police hierarchy. Specifically, we have seen how the war on drugs reallocated resources from homicide units and detective squads to teams of police continually arresting low-level drug offenders. Eh, wrong. 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 And here's the problem with this. She might have been right about this. If you ta- if they're talking around the country, they're especially over the last several years, they're wrong. Four, three, four, five years ago, uh, Chicago decriminalized marijuana, right? They started writing tickets, arrests started plummeting, and now it's legal. There still are some arrests, but they're much lower. That's, that's not true. It's just not true. They just don't know what they're talking about. And they go on, a homicide's clearance rate is defined as the reported rate at which open cases are solved. <clears throat> Wrong again. What does solved mean? I would ask them, and I'm, maybe I should try to get them on the pot. I don't think they know what the hell they're talking about here. Here's a little, and I'm going to do a bigger one for our, our uh, Patreon to the members uh, for clearance rates. But it, don't, it doesn't just mean solved because it's a very technical term and it's tricky. The Uniform Crime Report sets up the definition of clearance rates, which these people don't know. One, right? They don't know what that means. And what does solved mean? Does that mean the police know who did it? Does it mean make an arrest or get a conviction? And if it's any of those, well, first of all, especially if it's the first one, police know who did it, how do you know what they know? How do you know? Who's checking that? What has the Chicago Police Department done that would make you believe when they tell you, oh, we can't tell you because it's all privileged and private and, you know, secret investigation, which makes sense to some degree, but, oh, we know who did it. We solved it. Clarence. No, 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 no. All right. Here's why. Okay. Let's continue before I get to the national rate. The national homicide clearance rate is at an all-time low. In 2020, despite a rapid increase in homicides, the national clearance rate dropped 50% for the first time. Oh my God, the stupidity here is maximum, maximum. You're telling me, ladies and gentlemen, during a worldwide pandemic, the efficiency of police who have to interact with other humans to solve cases went down. You're shitting me. It's mind-bogglingly dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. I've said it before on this channel, and I said it last week in our talk Uh, with Dick Mandel from the Sentencing Project. You cannot use 2020 reliably to compare to any other year. It is wrong. It's such an outlier, unless you want to go get data back from 1918, then we'll compare. Other than that, those are, they're meaningless. It's meaningless. Meaningless. It's not an apples to apples comparison. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Next. What does the national rate mean for Chicago? Nothing. 
Zero, zilch, nada, nothing. Well, why? There are 19,000 police agencies in the United States. Most very small. How do you compare 11, 12, 13,000 person police department and their ability to solve homicides, which are urban homicides, which involve a lot of drive-bys and gang-involved um, that are harder to solve? How do you compare that to a policing agent that's got one or two people? You don't. The national clearance rate, bogus. Besides, and I will get into it in, the, in, in our Patreon um, video, clearance rates by themselves are horrifically manipulated. But these people don't know what the hell they're talking about. But the Tribune gave them a column, so here they go. See, and we continue with the article. CPD's overall arrest rates have dropped steadily since 2005. And fewer crimes are being reported overall not only by victims, but by police officers themselves, who used to produce many crime reports themselves while patrolling their beats. Hmm. Okay. Once again, I think they're using 2020 data, and that is wrong. Maybe you would have to look more closely, but they didn't. What arrests are being made? We're going to do a pod on... Um, the Sun-Times, and they linked to it, the Sun-Times did a piece on, on arrests and gun arrests. Something that's been missed in the media is uh, a change that the CPD made. Kim Fox tried to bring it up, I think, last summer in a, um, in a webinar they did. There was a change in the mid-2010s, teens there, um, about how the CPD goes about things. And it, it's not an accident. It's on purpose. And it's their answer to um, trying to find a way to reduce, reduce homicides. They don't know that because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Here's the last piece of the article that we're going to talk about, or the op-ed. The first and most important step in restoring trust between communities and law enforcement, it starts with putting resources into the hands of community groups, organizers, and faith leaders to ensure that programs and initiatives designed to reduce gun violence are community-based and community-informed. It continues with a reallocation of city funding to city governments and CPD to focus on solving homicides. Okay. Not the worst, but they're still focused incorrectly. And it's more incorrect for them because they don't have a clue what they're talking about related to criminal justice matters on the justice system or the anti-violence efforts. And not that anti-violence efforts shouldn't be funded, they should be. But as those three people, and I'm not going to, I don't remember all their names, so I'm not going to say who they were on our show, but I'll link to it. When we had the three people from Communities Partnering for Peace and, oh, and uh, Chicago Cred, and I forgot what organization Eddie Bocanegra is with, or was with, I think he's working at maybe through the White House now, actually. They all said, hey, guys. We're a Band-Aid on the problems. Yes, we need more money, but we are not the solution, the long-term solution. And this is the problem with this, especially the end here. They're looking for that to be the solution. It isn't. It's, it's addressing poverty. We have to. We have to. It's not in all this anti-violence work. The anti-violence works great. It's got to be funded. But it, think about it as nothing but a Band-Aid. It is not a long-term solution. Next. 
There's nothing in their op-ed column, whatever this you would call this thing is, not a single thing about brutality or abuse. Not a single thing. Nothing. You put more pressure on them to solve crimes and, and, and increase their clearance rate without putting strict oversight in how they do that, you're going to have more black and brown people locked up, whether it's right or not. You're going to have more black and brown people brutalized. You're going to have more problems in the communities generated by the police to get you those numbers. There is not a single thing in the history of the Chicago Police Department and most urban police departments that think that's not exactly what's going to happen. These people seem completely uninformed about that issue, and that's scary. You're given this platform in the Tribune. You should know what the hell you're going to write about. Ask for more money for community anti-violence programs. I'm all for it. Getting into how they should be policing or what they're doing with the rest of this column is just, it's just wrong. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Oh, and I think on Twitter, Sierra said, oh, well, we're going to make sure they do it right. No, you're not. You don't give them the money and then try to, you know, on the back end, come up with a way to oversight. That's how it's been done in Chicago for 120 plus years. That's not how you do it. If you're going to put more into policing and demand more from them, you better oversight the hell out of it. And you better do it from day one. Or just let the police be the police and beat and pillage communities and get what you're going to get. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. If you're interested in finding out more about our work, chicagojustice.org. If you're interested in getting involved in our work, cjpnation.org. And in the description, there will be our Patreon link. If you want to support our work, I'd really appreciate it. There's going to be exclusive content not found on the podcast or on YouTube or Facebook in a, uh, at Patreon. Also, um, also, just thanks. We really appreciate the support. And we'll be back with you next week.